What's up, everybody? The How Not to Be a Youth Pastor podcast, episode 100. And Derek, I can think of no greater way to welcome episode 100, the centennial episode of the podcast, which nobody thought we we had our doubters, for sure. Uh, yeah, one of which is me. <laughs> I thought I thought by episode four we'd be ah, oh, this is lame. Let, let's let's call this quits. But we have some we have some fans, some faithful followers of the podcast. My mom, your mom, um, our wives, yep. uh, just some faithful listeners for sure. We do, yeah. But uh, we're not here to talk about the doubters. Nope, we're here to talk about the people who believed in us the most. Uh, although I think that uh, our guests on the show today were also hardcore doubters. Uh, at times, uh, were or are, because I, th- I think that's an important stipulation. Might still be the case. Yeah, I also think it's uh, important to understand and get get this out there that the level of wisdom and intelligence that is on this episode is about four times any episode up until this point. Uh, it's true. We uh, we have brought out the big guns for for episode one hundred, and yep. and I can think of no better way. Uh, to introduce our guests than to do it in the most youth pastor way possible. Yep. Uh, when, when you as a youth pastor are speaking uh, to a large room, half of which are hormonal teenage boys, yep. there's only one way yeah. to introduce... It's not even a debate. ...our special guest today, and that would be our smoking Hot Wives. Smoking Hot Wives. We're not going to talk about their uh, maternal instincts, their natural beauty, their wisdom and personality. No, like there's no need for that. All we have to characterize them as is our smoking Hot <laughs> Wives. That is the only way to go. Which is uh, really fitting for a audio podcast, <laughs> certainly, <laughs> where our listeners... Uh, go check out our Instagram page yeah. at how not underscore YP uh, to see the true beauty. But for now, you'll just have to settle for the audible beauty. I think uh, our social media presence is going to skyrocket after this episode comes out because people are going to want to know what kind of ladies would marry those two clowns. Uh, it took hypnotism, <laughs> sorcery, and uh, just all the other tricks prayer. we had in the bag. Lots of prayer. <laughs> Lots of prayer. I think it's safe to say we both outkicked our punt coverage, and uh, I'm not. Ba- I'm not mad about it. So. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm comfortable with that. So uh, I will introduce first uh, my wife, Michaela. Uh, we have been married for five and a half years, and uh, we have a beautiful daughter, Willa, who is one. Uh, but Michaela, I'm gonna kind of turn it over to you for a second to just share all of your personal information with our listeners. Social security number, driver's license, that kind of thing. I, what do you actually want me to share? Um, I don't really know. Like what, uh, we'll, we'll share this. Uh, tell us a little bit about what, uh, maybe professionally where you fit into the world, uh, and, uh, anything else that you feel might be relevant. Yeah. Um, I was an architect for five years and then once Willow was born, I quit and I stay home with her now. Nailed it. I have so much respect for you because I love my kids so much, but I could never stay home with them every day. So seriously, it's a lot easier when you have grandparents very close, both of them, all of them. Yeah, that's true. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
Well, thanks for being on here. Thanks for marrying Kyle and keeping him in line because somebody's got to. I've tried, but it, to no avail. Uh, I'm going to introduce my wife, Meg, um, and she is far more beautiful, far more intelligent, far taller. Uh, all, all, all of the things uh, more than me. We've been, <laughs> this, this side eye you're giving me right now is a little scary. Um, but we've been together for married for seven and a half years. Um, we have two kids, uh, five-year-old and three-year-old next week, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, and it was, it was love at first sight for us, for sure. So let me uh, kick it over to you. Where, what is your professional career? Anything else you feel pertinent to share off the top? Um, it was not love at first sight for me. I feel like <laughs> I should share that. Um, definitely thought he was somebody's 12-year-old little brother, but... That's all right. Got him. Um, I am Meg, and I work in the assisted living and memory care field. Um, I was a social worker in that field for a couple of years, and I just took over as the executive director of our building um, about a few weeks ago. So, yeah. So we're going to begin with a, uh, a quick question, but Derek, why don't you run through, because uh, like all of our recent episodes, mm-hmm. we have a gracious and financially invisible partner, Certainly. Uh, sponsor of the show. So why don't you share about uh, today's episode sponsor? People might understand that uh, 100 episodes is a big milestone for any podcaster. I mean, when you think about how much blood, sweat, and tears goes into 100 episodes, you might understand that naturally we have to bring out our premier sponsor for episode 100. So for episode 100, we have the tried, the true celestial seasonings, jammin lemon ginger herbal tea. Huge thanks to celestial seasonings for all of the financial investment they gave us this year. Um, all the decoration they put on that desk over there. Cause Lord knows we didn't drink it, but, uh, it sure made us look professional. Uh, and, and maybe I wasn't gonna say act professional, but we're youth pastors. So that's, it's, it's a professional requirement that we do not act professional. Yeah. Right. I think, I think so. It's, uh, it, we, we kind of try to look the part, but even that doesn't work sometimes. So. Yeah, that's true. There's a reason why Marvel themselves, uh, can stereotype the outfit of a youth pastor to a T. Uh, which was one of the greatest moments of my life when uh, I was sitting in theaters and saw Toby uh, just rocking the the youth pastor outfit. Which is kind of what you're wearing now, right? You know, it's not too far (laughs) off, uh, (laughs) if we're being honest. Uh, So quick question of the day. Uh, We want to uh, dive into uh, the world of cinema and TV shows and and ask the question, Derek, I'm going to start with you because why not? Uh, What... TV show character or movie character best embodies your persona? There's so many to pick from. Off the top of my head, Iron Man, uh, the Hulk. Thor. Thor. <laughs> uh, the, 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 you say you <laughs> wish? Are you kidding me? Which, 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 which Thor? We need to stipulate Fat Thor, there. for okay, sure. Okay, Fat Thor. That's what I figured. <laughs> Let's be honest. Meg has made multiple comments that she wished I had a little bit more fat on my body just because I'm not very comfortable to lay on. So, um, yeah. Uh, okay, as much as I would love to say Iron Man or Thor or any of that, um, two come to mind, both from sitcom TV shows. One would be Ross from Friends. 
Yeah, uh, is hi. Yeah, uh, it it it's more so the nerdy like the we just watched the episode of uh, when Brad Pitt comes in and he sure. with how good he looks and he goes hot stuff and then he sits there and goes like hot stuff. Why did I say that? That happens to me almost on the daily. Like something comes out of my mouth and I'm like what the heck is wrong with me? Like, like, why did I say that? Um, and just like overly nerdy. He's all into dinosaurs. I would totally be Ross. Um, and kind of along that same uh, line of thinking, just not as intelligent. You watch the Big Bang Theory. Sure. Um, I'm very much Sheldon-like in a lot of ways of just like nerdy, dumb, kind of socially inept, all those different things. But Ross is kind of my true uh, persona. So that's me. That makes sense. Meg, what do you got? This is such a hard question. <laughs> there are so many people. Um, not to go steal from friends too, but the only one that really pops into my head is um, probably Monica from Friends. I am a very clean person. Um, messes really stress me out, which having two kids makes that super great and a husband um, like that. But um, yeah, I would say that's probably the biggest piece, just the cleanliness of her that reminds me of that. But yeah. That makes sense. Uh, Michaela, what about you? Um, I don't even know, but my best guess would be Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec because we were watching it when I don't even remember when and we were watching this one episode and there's two instances where I was like that's absolutely something I would say and one of them was they were at a wedding um they were at Donna's wedding in like a cathedral and Ron said something like say what you want about organized religion these guys know how to build an edifice or something like that I was like relatable um and then the other at the end of the episode I think Leslie one of the other main characters tried to hug him and he was like I do not approve of this and I was like also relatable so yeah I feel like that's what happens every time I try to give you a hug you're like no there, are, uh, for those of you that are familiar with the love languages, uh, I believe the physical touch is Michaela's sixth love language. Um, <laughs> so, uh, there's only five, but uh, hers is that's sixth for her. Uh, I'm gonna go over to Psych uh, and and say Sean Spencer uh, for mine. So accurate uh, because I I think that there is there's enough like squirrel mentality for him that, uh, that needs to, you know, I, I definitely feel that way sometimes. Uh, and I feel like I, I don't know. It just, there, there's a goofiness about uh-huh. literally everything that he does that, uh, that identify with. And I was going to say, he kind of plays the fool, but he's actually kind of a genius. <laughs> and when I think of Kyle Bash, that's kind of what I think of. Like he might play the fool, but he is much more cerebral than anyone gives him credit for, always, including himself. Always a master plan, uh, up to no good. Uh, so, so we are on today's episode. Derek and I have some questions and, and just some dialogue. We want to talk with the ladies on, uh, just kind of getting some insight, uh, into their perspective of, of everything that we do. Um, the first question that I wanted to bring up was, uh, when, when it comes to this podcast, uh, what was your first thought, uh, when you heard that we were going to do a podcast about youth ministry? Um, I 
wasn't necessarily surprised, nor did I think it would fail, I guess. I'm, I am surprised it's 100 episodes, but partially that's just because I think everybody wants to start a podcast right now. Um, but you guys actually made it 100 episodes and you still have topics to talk about. So that's good. And you're also, I said this before, but you're also very good at spilling, spilling, filling all empty space with words. So... <laughs> I don't think that was a compliment, <laughs> but I'm going to choose to take it as one. Um, I also wasn't surprised. I think, I mean, this fits your guys' personality very well. Um, just speaking to people and being able to come up with random off the hip questions and rabbit trails and sponsors that don't actually exist. Um, so, no, I was not surprised either. So Michaela kind of let the cat out of the bag there a little bit. Uh, the big secret of this episode is that this is the second time it sure is. we have gotten together to record this sure episode. Is. Uh, we, we went the full distance, recorded an entire episode. and Off the clock, off hours, yep. at night. Yep. And it was it was a treat because mm -hmm. it was past most of our bedtimes and you could tell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, the audio uh, was... Now, now there's a level of audio that no, most people would say is unusable. Uh, and then way down the road, there's a level of audio that even our audio engineer, Nathan, great friend of the show, great friend of the show, would say is unusable. Uh -huh. And and what we had captured was even beyond what he would say was usable. And so uh, we appreciated uh, the, the work that he put in. But he, at the end of the day, he was like, man, I don't I don't think this is going to work. And so we are back here for round two, which is a bummer because we caught Kyle in one of one moment of like true, like what the heck is going on when, despite the fact that we're friends, despite the fact that we hang out all the time, friends, uh, professional acquaintances, <laughs> uh, as my good friend, Ron Swanson over here would say workplace proximity associates. <laughs> I need to get back into parks and rec. I don't know. I don't remember some of these until you say them. So this, this is good. Um, but you did call me David at one point. I did. It <laughs> yeah. was impressive. Yep. So, well, and yeah, it was. I not only did I call you David, but I think I like kept going five or six words into the sentence, and then you realize like that's wrong. Yeah, it was. It was not my brightest moment, but but that's all right. Uh, so. This is this is this next question is just us asking for it, I believe. But uh, was there anything about the podcast that just absolutely drives you guys nuts? I'll go first. I said it in the part of what I thought, but all of the rabbit trails. Um, I think. I mean, they fit what your podcast is for. But I mean, I tell Derek all the time, like when he's telling someone a story, it takes everything in me to not interrupt and be like, just let me tell it because I can finish it in 30 seconds and it's going to take you 30 minutes. Um, so just just the little rabbit trails. Do you think that's a pastor thing? Probably. Extra yes. details. Yeah. Yep. You do that too. Um, I forgot the question drive me nuts. Yeah. Mine was that I usually listen to the podcast in my car and I find myself constantly yelling at my car <laughs> to get you. I'm like, Derek was talking, let him finish. And you're always interrupting <laughs> him or like 
you're you are a middle child <laughs> and it shows because you like never know when enough is enough and <laughs> like you're looking up statistics and I'm like nobody cares how many Jets pizzas are in Michigan <laughs> and you just keep going and going and going and trying to find more information but yeah it would be an interesting statistic over a hundred episodes to do timestamps of unplanned rabbit trails and how long they go. Mm-hmm. You know, like what what percentage of our shows are unrelated, unimportant, random dumps of useless information? Because I'm sure it's probably at least ten percent of our episodes. Yeah, we usually uh, the the true listeners of our podcast know they can just skip over the first about eight to ten minutes of every single episode. Uh, but, but I do, I do want to come on and, uh, you know, a hundred episodes in, I would say, you know, Derek and I are much more comfortable kind of with some of the back and forth and just, you know, we've got different cues that we'll throw each other when, when we have something to say or whatever. Uh, we're a lot more comfortable hundred episodes in than we were in episode one. Uh, but, but I will be the first to say that I'm not perfect about it. And so, uh, David, I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> Cut you off sometimes. I'd also be curious to know, because this is where I thought you were going with that. Over the last 99 episodes, what like what's the total runtime of how many minutes Derek has talked and how many minutes Kyle has that talked? That would be interesting. I uh you did make a comment at one point saying a big part of the thing we try to do here at the podcast is let Derek not talk. Uh, and so that was something that got <laughs> brought up at one point. But no, it's uh, what I love is uh, I think a lot of people would be surprised to know how much stuff just comes off the cuff. We're just like naturally we have our notes. We have our outline all of a sudden conversation does carry into Jets Pizza in Michigan sometimes uh, or looking up random things on Wikipedia, which is our premier source of information for the most part. But how much stuff is just randomly, truly like unscripted, unplanned, but just like usually our best stuff (laughs) is when it's unplanned and unscripted. And uh, it's kind of a good chemistry we have built over 100 episodes that kind of just lends itself to spurring each other on in that. So... Like I, I will say, like the last episode we recorded prior to this, I'm pretty sure you and I walked in with no notes. Like our our computers were pure decoys, um, but it's all good. We're just we're just a well of knowledge, is what I'm ultimately trying to say. Uh, wives, do you want to comment on that last part? I'm good. <laughs> you I don't pre- have anything nice to say. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, I appreciate that. Um, okay, so I want to shift just a little bit to talking about uh, you know your relationship to our jobs uh, because when it comes to it being on staff at a church, different pastors, different churches, uh, they all have different expectations when it comes to the spouses of the pastors on the staff. And so what does, we'll start with Meg, what does your role look like when it comes to your involvement in church? Um, I think it's definitely morphed over the years. We've been at our church for six and a half years now. Um, And in the beginning, we had no kids. um, And I kind of feel like it was expected of me to just be his right-hand man, be immersed in everything, every event. 
um, things like that. But then once we had kids, I mean, my kids went through a phase, specifically our first, where for like a straight year, he would scream bloody murder if he was in service or kids church. So there was a solid year of our life where I virtually was not even visible um, in church. I just stayed in the back office or the empty nursery um, with our son. But I would say now it's kind of steadied out and I feel like we're kind of at a good pace in our new normal. Um, So I'm pretty involved. Um, I love worship. It's what I went to school for for the first two years before switching to social work. So um, I serve on the worship team. Um, I kind of oversee our worship leaders and serve actually on team two to three times a month. Um, also kind of help um, with ideas for sermon series and events and stuff and any like big decisions he has to make. I feel like I kind of serve as that discernment radar. Um, but yeah, I'd say that's the biggest piece. I wouldn't say they're big decisions always. I mean, I, I truly like when I think of uh, the relationship I get to see Meg, what she said is spot on. And um, as you guys can probably attest to like, the tough part with being a minister spouse is there's so much undefined that is just expected, which is which is sometimes tough to to jump into. But um, Meg does have that gift of discernment, and so there are so many times whether it is big decisions for sure. I'm like, hey, what do you think about this? But there's a lot of times like you are my premier sounding board, where it's like, hey, I'm thinking about having this kind of a meeting just to kind of get this end result. What do you think about that? And you have no problem telling me exactly what you think about it, which is good. Like, I appreciate that because I think um, something that I personally have, and I think Kyle's sometimes this way as well, is like we get passionate about an idea and it's like, this is this is going to be really good. And then you guys tend to see like, what about this? What about that? That might be a terrible idea. And that's uh, really kind of good to have you. So, yeah, you're kind of a, a Swiss army knife in our church, if I could say so myself. I didn't. I guess the previous senior pastor didn't have any expectations for me, which was nice, I guess. Um, And it's weird being in this limbo of waiting for a new senior pastor because who knows what the next guy will expect. Um, But I have mostly sort of just been in the background um, of things and helping you sort of plan events and set up for events and different things and more of the logistics. Um, I did come to a lot of Wednesday nights, pre kid, um, post kid, that's more difficult. (laughs) Um, but still kind of doing some of those background things. Yeah. Uh, before we dive into the next question throughout the episode, thought it'd be fun on our hundredth episode to share some really meaningless statistics that'll drive my wife nuts. What else would this podcast be about if we were focused for 98% of the time? He's been looking at these statistics the whole time while you guys were talking and I'm like literally getting anxious. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I can't think. What's he going to do? Uh, so we have, over, over the life of our podcast, uh, we have been listened to in 97 different countries, which is a win. Um, but there's four states that have been holding out on us. Now, I feel like having zero listeners in Alaska is fair, because who's in Alaska? Um, <laughs> Eskimos. And Rhode Island. Bears. Is another one, like... There's, it's so small. There's nobody there. Uh, I'm a little offended that uh, we don't have any listeners in West Virginia or Utah. So I feel like they need to get on that. Why does that one offend you? 
Um, I don't know. I thought that youth ministry podcast would be more popular with all the Mormons in Utah. <laughs> uh, here, here, here's what I'm hearing. Us four rent a bus. Go on a sponsorship tour where we try and garner some sponsorships. We single-handedly drive to Rhode Island, then what down to West Virginia, yep, over to Utah, yep. and then up to Alaska. Interesting. And we can we can figure out some childcare options. I think the nursery workers around our churches could probably rally for the two years we'll be doing this, and uh, <laughs> we we could make it happen. Yeah, I will. Uh, Give a shout out. Uh, it doesn't surprise me at all that uh, since Derek and I are both uh, in Minnesota, that that's the number one state where uh, where we have listeners. But uh, Texas, Michigan, California, and Illinois rounding out the top five. So we appreciate all of our listeners, uh, but especially those ones. Uh, if we're if we once we get those four states, because we will get those four states for sure. I think we go after the rest of the countries. Yeah, we're coming for you. Um, we do have, uh, you know, Canada, the United Kingdom, New Zealand, and Australia rounding out the top five for, for the countryside. But um, let's let's dive in for like eight more minutes on these statistics. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm kidding. I just wanted to see my wife's face when I said that. Uh, Tucker's got to get that clip of that that significant <laughs> eye roll right there. That that that's that's clip worthy. He could probably make a reel of this entire episode of like a minute long of just our wives rolling their eyes at <laughs> the, us. Just the reactions. Yeah. Um, we'll start with Michaela on this one. Uh, when it comes to your uh, work life outside of the church, uh, do people treat you any differently for being a pastor's wife? Um, yes, but it's, I would never say it's like malicious or anything like that. I haven't had a bad experience necessarily. A lot of times if they find out that I'm married to a pastor, they will immediately be like, oh, well I go to church here, <laughs> like sort of justify, you know, their religion, I guess. I I don't know. It's very weird. And I mean, it's not very weird. I'm sure they're just uncomfortable, but I wish they weren't. I don't want to make people uncomfortable. And a lot of times you get the comment like, oh my gosh, I just, I just swore. I need to watch my mouth around you now or something like that. And it's like, no, I'm not asking you to be different. This is just, you're just a youth pastor, not just, but. Yeah, I would say very similar to Michaela with the language piece. Um, I, a lot of them when I'm like, oh, my husband's a pastor. And I just swore in front of you. Like they just feel so bad. Um, but I would say not, they don't treat me too differently um, in this current role that I'm in because I work for a faith-based company now. So everyone's pretty open about their faith there. Um, but when I worked in foster care, that was definitely a different story. Um, it's very hard to be a social worker and a Christian. It's obviously possible. I was, I know people who are, um, but typically that is not the case. So mm -hmm. definitely when I was in that realm, got treated a little bit differently. I actually had somebody one time, I mentioned that you were a youth pastor and their response was no S-H-I-T. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, <laughs> yep, sure. How do, where do we go from here? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty good one. I was standing right there when they did it. And I was like, all right, cool. That's uh, You and I are going to be friends now. What I think is so tough, <clears throat> I so I went to, this is kind of fun. Was it last summer we did this wedding? Uh, a buddy of mine from high school that I don't talk to a ton, um, he's like, hey, like we're getting married. Would you come and like officiate our wedding? Of course, for sure. Um, so naturally, I ran into a bunch of old classmates and stuff. And uh, when they hear I'm a pastor, like their immediate initial thought is like, 
Catholic priest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like legit. He's like, he's like, it's like, I, I was, I'm in the bathroom, like waiting to go to the bathroom. It's like, someone's asking like, do you, do you like, do, like, do you wear a collar or like, did you like, I didn't think you could have a wife. And I'm like, oh, I have a wife and we do husband and wife things um, like kiss and hold hands and stuff. Derek, this is a PG podcast. I know. Well, I don't know what you guys are thinking about. We just, we held hands just not long ago, but like, like that's my point is I feel like a lot of times when we are saying we're pastors or pastors, wives, that's what they jump to immediately. And so not that we ever hide it, but a lot of times I I don't lead with what you do or what I do. Like if, if the conversation goes like, hey, like, what do you do for a job? I always say I work in a church because it's like as soon as I say I'm a pastor, not that I'm ashamed of it, but just like there's like this wall that comes up of like they do feel like they have to be different and I can't talk the way I'm normally going to talk and, and whatever else. And so we, we just kind of like try to be the most authentic people we can at all time just because – that's, I think that's a testimony for sure. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I am going to have to ask you guys to slow down on the postmarital eye contact over there, though. Uh, <laughs> my leg hurts because Meg, when I talked about the thing before, she punched <laughs> my leg. So if, I, if I'm wincing in pain over here, that's why. That makes sense. Uh, what is your guys... We're going to kind of go around the table. We'll include Derek and I in this. But favorite and least favorite parts of being in ministry who wants to go first um i'd say my favorite part is um has been the community of people that we get to work with specifically in youth ministry not that the whole church is bad but we just deal with youth ministry obviously um but all of your youth leaders are just amazing people and seeing them kind of rally around you and your vision and everything and seeing them like just love on the kids too is always great and they always are just they don't I, they never know it but it's always like when you're having a bad day and then one of them does or says something to you and I'm just like, Oh, like, thank you so much. Like that was, you don't know how necessary that was just having that support. is really nice. Do you have a least favorite part? Are we doing that now too? Um, <clears throat> the least favorite I think, and we kind of talked about this the last time too, was I don't think people always realize like how much of yourself you're pouring into this job and they have a lot of expectations for you Mm -hmm. that are not necessarily um, realistic. And we talked about kind of um, how pastors are oftentimes not really allowed to be people. And that doesn't mean that you should be exempt from like the consequences of your own actions, or it doesn't mean you just get to do whatever you want. Um, but I don't think they see like how many different directions you're getting pulled constantly. And even like as your wife, like all these people are fighting for your attention and I'm like, hello, like I haven't seen him literally all week and I'm married to him. Um, so I just don't think people always put those things together that you're still a person with a limited amount of hours to do things in. Yeah, I think for me, um, my favorite part would be um, just getting a front row seat to like the highest highs and the lowest lows of people's lives and getting to be part of that with them. Um, Walking through the valleys and walking on the mountains with them is just such a cool thing to be part of. Um, My least favorite part, I think I would have two that kind of tie. Um, One being, I mentioned this last time too, just 
friendships in the church can be really difficult. Um, You want to be connected. You want to make these friends, but it's so hard sometimes to um, discern the difference between those who genuinely like want to be your friend and hang out with you. And even if what your husband said that morning in service made them upset, like that won't color how they interact with you. But more often than not, we've had the case where we'll have really good, we'll make really good friends in the church, hang out outside of church, Derek says something, does something that makes them upset, or they don't agree with a decision that was made, and they leave the church, which is fine. But then when they leave the church, they just entirely excommunicate us as well. Um, So it's just that kind of that fear piece in making those connections in church. Um, And then my second least favorite, very similar to what Michaela said, um, you get to see your husband pour out literally everything that he has, like not be at dinner multiple nights because different people in the church need him, um, come home just super exhausted, stressed because this family's going through this thing and just praying about how he needs to be there to serve them. And then you have these people who get upset that it took him 24 hours to answer a text message, or I told you we needed to start this ministry in the church and I'm not willing to do that, but you need to take my idea and do all of the work. And if you don't, I'm going to be upset about it. Um, And also the question, so what's your real job is so fun because they don't realize like, oh, you only are here on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, right? And they don't realize that more often than not, you're putting in 60, 70, hours a week so yeah my real job is gaga ball master uh and i just passed her on the side derek and i are actually thinking about starting a league going on tour that'd be awesome yeah hopefully our tour takes us to west virginia rhode island (laughs) utah and alaska Uh, that's true uh I'll, i'll say that my favorite part of of my job uh is quickly becoming the curiosity of our students and some of the questions that I I started a note in my phone uh, to document some of the different questions that I get from students. Uh, Because I've had students text me like, hey, uh, is anxiety a sin? Yes. Uh, (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Where did Jesus sleep at night? If someone commits suicide, do they still go to heaven? Uh, Will we have free will in heaven? Who is the antichrist? Like, like all of these, did Moses actually exist? That one I was less proud of, but uh, all, all these things that like they are, they're curious, they're putting things together and and they're actually thinking about the Bible on a critical level where, uh, you know, I think everybody in their faith has questions like these from time to time. And when you don't seek out the answers or you seek them out in the wrong places, I think that's where doubt tends to creep in versus seeking them out in the right places. And, and hopefully we as pastors can be one of those right places uh, that's going to lead to growth in your faith. And I think the fun part about these questions too, is that this is like just started happening and you've been the pastor for however many years here now. And if like we're now seeing some of the fruit from seeds you planted a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's been, you know, changing culture. And then this is something Derek and I have talked about probably on multiple episodes, but changing culture is not something that happens quickly. Uh, 
but yeah, that's that's been awesome. Uh, least favorite part of ministry. Uh, can I say the parents? Because uh, that tends to be uh, n- not all the parents, but uh, no, it, it it really is like ten percent. Nine, sorry, ninety percent of being a youth pastor is the best job on earth, and the other ten percent is why you can't just decide yourself that this is something you want to do. Right. Uh, if if you're called, we talked about this a few episodes ago. If you're called to youth ministry, uh. You know, God is going to sustain you through that 10%. If you're not called to youth ministry, then that's where things get real dicey real quick. Mm-hmm. And probably why the national average tenure of a youth pastor is 18 months. Yeah, which is crazy. That's the average. When you think about how many people have been in this for 20, 25 years, for, for the average to be 18, there's people that make it a month, mm-hmm. you know, or something like that. It's kind of crazy. So um, my favorite part... Uh, gosh, there's, there's, there's so much, uh, we talk about like the hard parts of ministry, which I think is healthy and needs to happen. Uh, but ministry truly is a blessing and something that we get to do. Um, and, uh, you guys said it kind of earlier and I get to see this now is so much of ministry. A lot of times it feels like it's casting seed, right? Like you're just week in and week out, you're being faithful week in and week out. You're just continuing to be persistent and preaching the word, loving on students. And, um, I would say, especially in youth ministry, there's a lot of times you're scattering that seed and you have no clue if it's falling on good soil, if it's falling on rocky soil, if it's even falling on soil at all. Uh, and when, but when you see those seeds take root, and blossom and flourish. It truly is the greatest thing in the world. Um, when you see, when you see God come alive within a human being, um, uh, it, it is truly like the greatest thing in the world as you just see God working right before your very eyes. And, um, we've been very blessed to kind of have that community as well that you guys have all talked about that some of my favorite people, um, on the planet are, are in our church and they have been. And, um, that it just, it's so fun to get to challenge them. But then the, these are people that I would spend time with on my day off because I just truly love being around them. And, and, and I love that, um, which is kind of what lends itself to the least favorite part of being in ministry is, uh, I don't know if you felt this guys, but one of the things I struggle with the most is kind of coming to grips with my limitations. And you kind of understand that there is only so much you can do as a pastor. Um, there are certain things people have to walk through. Um, you, you talked about unrealistic expectations. What's really tough is when you know that's not a realistic, expecta- a realistic expectation, but they don't. And so they color you differently. They see you differently. They respond to you differently. And that's really hard. And I think when I look back at some of my most difficult moments. It wasn't always the fact that we had to walk through a tough situation. It wasn't the fact that, you know, we got cussed out because of something we didn't do. Uh, I don't even, I don't think about that. For me, the toughest moments um, were the nights laying in bed, staring at my ceiling going, what can I do? Like, what more can I physically do to get through to this student? What more can I do to show this person that I love them? What more can I do to try and help them lessen this weight of grief on their shoulders? And a lot of times you can't, you're not, you're not built for it. Um, but still as someone who enjoys control and all uh, those kind of things, it's sometimes coming to grips with the fact that you are out of control is, is more difficult for me. So, so uh, one of the common things that kind of came up there was, you know, maybe people in the church 
not being super happy with right. you know Derek or or I, and uh, that happens uh, from time to time. Is there anything that uh, like like how do you how do you handle kind of that conflict within the church when somebody's upset with your husband? Um, I think one of the best things that I've ever been told our previous lead pastor, his wife, um, shared this with me. Somebody shared this with her. Um, but to the church, you and your husband always need to be a united front. So if there is a decision made that maybe even I don't agree with, which has happened at times, um, still at the end of the day, you just have to trust that um, this is what the Lord's spoken to your husband. So if somebody else comes up to you and is upset about it, rather than kind of feeding into it and being like, yeah, you're right, like this was a dumb decision, even if in the end it does end up being a poor decision, um, which has also happened, um, to the church, you're a united front. So you stand by your husband, you stand by what he's decided, and you speak that to people. Um, and sorry, our daughter's in the other room. <laughs> She's just yelling dad, dad right now. <laughs> dad! That was awesome. Um, and then I also think just letting your husband be human. That's kind of, we've been talking about this too, and not being afraid to share that with people when they come up to you and they're upset and man, he hasn't texted me back in sometimes it's 24 hours and sometimes ministry does just get crazy and it's maybe been a week and he hasn't responded to that message. And so like letting them feel that, letting them voice that, but also helping them to see that they are human. And there have been these hundreds of other things that came up that you don't know about, but also just kind of helping them trust that, they are human and they have their best interests in heart, but still just being that united front. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now I completely lost my train of thought. What was the question? <laughs> um, when it comes to like people in the church being mad at, at your husband, how do you, how do you handle that? I mean, there isn't like, I, I really don't do anything. I've never like, I think you've talked about an instance where somebody like specifically came to you and was complaining about Derek to you, which I think is funny, but, um, that's never happened to me before. So there really isn't much that I do. Um, I think I try not to (laughs) try not to think about it too much. Most of the time, if it's not something that's, I mean, people get upset over silly things a lot, but, um, I think something to remember, I guess, is always that like ministry is, is very unique, but it is still a job. Um, and your marriage and your family still needs to come first. Um, and the Bible specifically talks about like in roles of leadership that, that, um, if you're going to be in a role of leadership at the church, that you should rule your children in your house well. Um, and that those things need to be in order. And I think, um, if your marriage is in shambles, then so will your ministry and mm-hmm. be in shambles. So, um, just, yeah, always keeping that in the forefront, um, before your job. Yeah. And I think the, when it comes to church conflict, I guess, I feel like a lot of times it, it can, it certainly can be, you know, more explosive upfront confrontation, mm-hmm. but more often than not, it tends to be behind the scenes, whispers, uh, whispers and, and, uh, you know, a lack of honesty, uh, and, and yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to try to, you know, paint this picture to the narrative that I want it to be or, or, or whatever it is. And then, 
you know, like it's easy, I think, to to look at something where it's like, hey, that person just like yelled at my husband in the church foyer. Well, it's easy for me to react to that. It's it's harder to you know keep your cool sometimes when it's uh, something that's a little bit more subtle, right? Yeah, and that brings up another thing too is I think that sometimes people in the church are so afraid to um, we're so afraid of gossip that we avoid telling the truth. Right. Um, (laughs) Because like, let's like people suck. I suck. We all suck. Right. And we're going to mess up sometimes. And there are some things that need to be said um, and should be said that maybe feel wrong or it feels like we're not allowed to go to somebody and say, Hey, this is happening or this happened or this person, you know, said this or whatever. Um, because we're afraid of gossiping about them, but it like truly needs to be dealt with. And it's not, it's not being honest is so necessary. And like, um, just being honest up front about everything all the time (laughs) that it doesn't need, not everything true must be said, but everything said must be true, I guess. Um, yeah, sorry. I'm bad at talking. You should never have me on the podcast again. You, you brought up such a good point, Michaela, because I was reading a book recently and they talked about how so often we think of peace as this thing we need to preserve. So it's just like we lay down and just like smooth things over. Even if it's not the most healthy confrontational thing, it feels like as a Christian, we're called to just like preserve peace. So we just don't talk about hard things. And this book was about like, that's actually cancer. You know, like if you, if you don't approach things and get to the head of them, it's actually a huge problem. It's going to create some things. And to me that this is what, as we're all talking about, um, to me, I think what's probably toughest for you guys, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, um, in knowing obviously my wife and Michaela, like rarely is it external conflict you guys are having to handle because it is quiet is behind the scenes. I think what's probably difficult is when someone is upset with us that I'm going to say doesn't have a right to be because they don't know the full picture and it's your job to kind of keep your heart in check and not kind of reciprocate that bitterness, right? Like person A is upset because, you know, Kyle just is not taking my idea. And as the spouse, you understand he's not taking that idea because of X, Y, Z. It doesn't fit. It's not the right time. We don't have the leadership. It's not just like, I don't like you. I don't want your idea. It's that there's a lot of details that are left to figure out. And so they don't see that, but you do. And so when they're ticked off at Kyle or ticked off at me, it's easy to kind of be like, well, then I'm ticked off at you. You know, if you're, if you're going to like crap on my husband, then like, I'm not happy with you. And it's kind of, it's, it's tough to kind of set your emotions aside when you know the full picture and someone else doesn't. Um, and to me, I think we've had this conversation too, where it's like, I got to keep my heart in check. I got, I got to like handle this because while they don't have a reason to be upset with you, me being upset with them is just just as bad you know I think there's there's also a balance too like because we've had to learn to communicate um some of those things that they don't see and they like and so they're upset with you and you're like okay so like what do I need to actually tell them about the situation to help them try to understand versus like some people just don't want to understand and but you don't just want to like leave them in the dark either of why you didn't pick them so that's always a balance that we're learning more about (laughs) yeah and you also have to balance the there there are times where the information that they don't know isn't theirs to know right. 
And so then you have to, uh, you know, share what you can without oversharing and, you know, maybe ask for some relational equity to be turned into trust, uh, in, in that moment, like, Hey, like maybe I, I can't go into every single detail as to why I made this decision or why I went the other way on this, but I, I just need you to trust me that, you know, there's, there's some other stuff going on and, and we got this. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tightrope that is a balancing act from a number of different angles and, and that can make it tough. Well done. I, I like Michaela's summary of, uh, no, I think you should always talk. Uh, I, I love the summary that, how did you even phrase it? Uh, at the beginning, now I'm blanking on it. Um, Man, it was really, it was so good. It was mind blowing. It moved, blew everything out of my mind and, and there's nothing left. I'll think of it, but Perfect. we'll move on for now. Uh, so the last question that we have on here was just what, like when it comes to ministry, celebrating uh, those, those special moments is really important. So we wanted to kind of go around the table and ask what has been your favorite moment, uh, individual moment over the duration of your time in ministry? You go on first. Sure. Um, I shared this when we first tried to record it, so it won't be a new story to you two. Um, I think my favorite moment. So when we first got here, we had two younger boys in our youth ministry. I believe they were just coming out of sixth grade and just coming out of seventh grade. Um, they weren't really friends at that point. Um, didn't really have a relationship, didn't hang out, didn't even really connect in church. And we just kind of saw from a bigger picture that we thought they would be really good for each other. Um, thought that they would be really good friends, have a lot in common and kind of be that person that they could go to if they didn't necessarily have a lot of Christian friends. So in a school setting could just connect with. Um, so we kind of schemed to get them together. So we would, and with boys, free food is always the best option. Um, so we would have a church event or a youth event. And then afterwards be like, Hey, we're going to go to, I don't know, Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, Arby's, um, do you want to come with us? And we would ask both boys. And so kind of just over the years got to see their friendship grow. Um, they would hang out with us a lot in youth group um, at our house after the fact on weekends. Um, and so just getting really getting to see them grow in that relationship. Um, and then another thing um, or out of that, I guess we've kind of been talking about it through this time of those seeds and seeing the fruit later in life. So those boys are now, um, a freshman in college and a sophomore in college. And just a few weeks ago, they were at our house, hanging out, talking life, talking what God's been speaking to them, playing video games, eating a ton of food. Um, and so I ended up going to bed early and just hang and laying in the bed, just hearing both of them laugh out in our living room was just kind of this whole like full circle moment of these were those boys that we had at sixth and seventh grade. And now they're full grown men who love the Lord and still have a connection with each other and still want to be in our lives. And we still want them in our lives. And just that moment of just hearing them laugh in our living room was just so cool. And just makes you remember like why you do this. Uh, Michaela, before you go, I just wanted to pop in and clarify that the thought that I heard from her that I thought was really good was that Christians are so afraid of gossip that they don't tell the truth. Well done. That's a, that's a billboard one right there. I'm 
I'm sure I didn't come up with it. Um, <laughs> my favorite moment in youth ministry. Um, a couple years ago, what, 2021, uh, I got to go on the Costa Rica mission trip with you. And there was just, there was just, that whole thing was my favorite moment. Um, there's a lot of really cool things about that. Um, but if I can say another one, um, we've had some youth students get married, um, <laughs> to each other. So like, that's been really awesome to be at their weddings and just see them grow up. And they you started youth ministry so young that it's, it's so weird because they're not, we're not that much older than them, but it's, um, we feel ancient. So <laughs> they feel like your kids getting married. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think we used the, the office quote, um, last time. And we said like the, at the last season, Michael is at Dwight and Angela's wedding and he says, it feels like all my children grew up and they married each other. It's every parent's dream. <laughs> so that's what it feels like. Um, but yeah, those have been good. Yeah, it has been, uh, that, that kind of goes, both of those are, uh, kind of some of my favorite moments. Uh, the, the Costa Rica mission team that we did, uh, every night that we were there, we got to just spend time as a team, uh, worshiping together. It was just an acoustic guitar and 36 voices. And it was just so, uh, pure and, and, and cool to see, uh, you know, there was nothing else to distract you. There were no, uh, certainly wasn't perfect or, uh, professional, but it was just, Hey, let's seek after the Lord and, and worship him. And that was just a really cool, uh, moment for that team. Uh, and, and some of the goals that I set when I started in youth ministry, one of them was to see a class that I had as sixth graders all the way through, uh, until they graduated, which, uh, I did, I think it was the 2023 graduating class that, uh, you know, was, was the sixth graders when I started. And then also, uh, having students that were in our youth ministry, being able to officiate a wedding, uh, of students that I had as a youth pastor, uh, is a really, really cool moment just to kind of see it. It really is embodied by that office quote, as weird as it is, uh, you know, seeing these students continue after I've passed the baton, uh, to follow the Lord and, and, uh, as, as youth pastors, there's some really scary statistics out there as to, you know, how many, what percentage of students continue in their faith as young adults. And so, uh, every testimony we have of kind of fighting against those statistics is a big win. Yeah. You guys took all the good ones. I don't know what to say. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to kind of do a spinoff of, of, of Meg's and kind of the concept that you guys mentioned. Um, about four years ago, maybe five years ago now, we were just kind of sensing this pull of the Lord to kind of do like a, we, our, our, our mission statement in our youth ministry was belong, believe, become. The idea that everyone belongs before they believe, so we believe in Jesus, but then we want you to become the person that God's called you to be. So we had this group called Become, where once a month we'd have what we would consider student leaders come to our house, pour into them, disciple them, that kind of thing. We did that for four years, and a lot of times it was just, uh, we'd talk, do a Bible study kind of deal. Guys would go outside in my backyard and play spike ball. Girls would stay inside and talk about boys. Uh, and that was kind of the some gist of it. Would play spike ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of them, some of them would. But um, you know, I remember very vividly the last the last time we met because 
of the 12, we call them the 12, <laughs> uh, but of the 12, 10 were graduating in uh, a month and, or they had just graduated last month, I think is what it was. But so it was kind of like, and at this time, Riley, our youth pastor came in. So we kind of knew this was, this was the end. And to kind of send them out was the coolest moment. Cause you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, we feel like obviously we did things wrong. We got things wrong, but to the best of our ability, we did everything we could. And now they were going to go out of the nest and fly. And so you fast forward a year and to see these three are at a Christian university down the road and they're thriving. You know, you, you have this one who's staying local, but you can still tell they have that faith and everyone's journey is different. Uh, but just kind of that moment of, I can, I can kind of sympathize with, you know, Jesus sending the 12 out in the sense of going, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to get it wrong, but you are going to thrive. And I'm not putting us as if we're Jesus in this scenario, uh, but it is one of those things we have seen how they have stepped out and they, they've thrived, they've stumbled, they've thrived, they've stumbled, but they're all growing upwards towards Jesus. And I think, you guys, we've said it so much that that's why we do what we do, you know, is we're not trying to make perfect little Christian kids. We're trying to make disciples, you know, of, I really think a good youth ministry is not one that tells you, here's how you behave, but here's how you live. You know, here's how you learn to live your life for, for Christ. And your behavior will model that very thing. Um, but I think with how you and I kind of share this ministry philosophy is I'm not, as interested in telling you here's what you should and should not do in the sense of don't swear, don't do this. I much more so want to say, here's how you chase after the Lord. Let him <laughs> deal with the right things and the wrong things you ought to do. And I feel like we've seen that as um, our kids are deeper and they're stronger. And it's just that it was that night in our living room when we, when we closed the door, I remember Meg and I kind of having tears going down our face going like, there they go. You know, these are our kids and, and off they go. And, um, we just want the best for them. And it's just kind of cool to be on the other end of that now. Uh, Michaela, do you have any advice that you would give, uh, to somebody who either is going into ministry or their spouse is going into ministry? Didn't, didn't we already answer that question? Uh, we did last time. <laughs> um, have any advice? I thought we did because Meg talked about always being on the same page. And that was the conflict. That was while we were one. talking about conflict. <sighs> Come back to me, Meg. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think the biggest piece um, would just be. I mean, Michaela kind of answered it in one of her questions already, but your family comes before your ministry. Your marriage comes before your ministry. Um, I can't remember which pastor said it, but I was. Um, it was in an Instagram post a couple of years ago, and just the the philosophy of what he said kind of blew my mind because I'd never heard it put that way before. But he'd said, so many people ask me how I balance family and ministry. And my response is always, I don't because you don't balance things that aren't equal and your family and your marriage should always be a higher priority than your church, than your ministry. Um, so I think just always going into it and realizing that it is, it is a tricky 
it's kind of like walking a tightrope, I think. And there are definitely going to be times where you miss the mark and church is taking up way more of your time or you're pouring your best into your church and then your family gets the leftovers. So just trying to make sure that you're being mindful and having those connected moments, like having a sacred space to just have family time, just have time with your spouse. Um, and I lost my train of thought. I was going to say something else too. So come back to me again. It was probably going to be really profound and wise because that's what she does. Um, I just want to share this is a really practical thing that we've tried to make a habit of doing. We're not perfect in this, but um, to kind of go along with that thought, there are certain seasons of ministry that are just more intensive. Like I think of being in the lead pastor role now. We know that about three weeks prior to Easter up until Easter Sunday is going to be an absolute grind. So we know that there are going to be nights I'm not going to be home. There are going to be nights that way. And you can't avoid that. So what we try to do is to compensate is we know following Easter, we have a vacation planned or going into that grind. We have a vacation planned just for us to kind of help offset that balance because while you try to be balanced and be split, there are certain seasons, I think, of camp and mission teams. Summertime's a busy time for youth pastors. It's probably the busiest time. And so on the, on the heels of that or going into that, having that time where you can get away and spend extended time with your family uh, to just kind of help recorrect that ship. I remember what I was going to say now, so I just want to finish my thought. Um, when you are in those seasons of a ministry kind of taking more of your time than your family, as the wife, I would say, like my biggest piece of advice, if you have children especially, is how you paint that to your kids is so important. Um, another pastor's wife told me once, it can be so easy to get bitter when your husband is at a hospital visit or in with a meeting with a family about a crisis or at the church for the fifth night in a row prepping for Easter or Christmas, and you are once again doing dinner time and bath time and bedtime all by yourself, and your kids are constantly asking, why is daddy not home? Where is daddy? Um, and painting it in a way of rather than being bitter and being like, yeah, he's at church again, like, what's new? Um, kind of painting it in that way of like, yeah, dad's at church, like this thing is coming up, or he's with this family, like how cool is it that dad gets to be that person for these people? Um, so just making sure you're painting, painting it in a light to protect your children as well. Yeah, um, I would say like communication is very important, and that's such a cliche thing to say, but I have, I think I've learned to like, rather than just try to like put up with things and like, you know, try to be positive and whatever. And I'm not a very positive person. I'm sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I think part of it is just like on weeks that I'm having a hard week telling you like, hey, this sucks and I'm not having a good time. And like, I'd rather you not go to church right now. And like just being able to tell you that and then we can sort of talk through it and come up with a solution for it rather than just like harboring it all and just being mad about something. Um, and I think also just um, remembering all of the positive stuff that we've already talked about. Like I, t I told you to start writing down those questions that those kids were sending you just so you had like physical things to go back in and look at. And um, yeah, just reminding, reminding myself of like why we're actually doing this. Um, but yeah. And also just being intentional, intentional with our time and planning things something to look forward to for just us so it gets you through like a harder part of the year summers when you're gone <laughs> yeah 
That was that was. I mean that that kind of summed it all up. I think the the priorities uh, need to be in order. The communication needs to be top notch, and uh, every everybody's going to have a different groove that they settle into uh, when it comes to ministry and communication and all those things. Uh, but being willing to you know try a couple different things, and you know for some people like you guys mentioned. Some people, uh, they might find going on a vacation on the back end is like kind of that breath that they need. Uh, and other people, it's oh, that needs to be on the front end so that I'm rested going into this season uh, or both uh, or <laughs> you know, whatever it is. But I think that that's, uh, that's really important. So I like that. Uh, I'm going to say one thing before we move on. I don't know why. This was not part of the original outtake. So this will be a fun little spinoff here. Um, I'm going to speak to the single youth pastor for a second or the person going into ministry. And and here's here's what I would say is... Be very, very intentional and upfront with a person you are pursuing about ministry as well. Because here's what I would say is um, Meg and I kind of had this conversation as we were dating about our future plans. Because if you guys are not on the same page going in, it's going to cause a huge rift. Um, you know, and, and it, it's possible to work through. It's not impossible. Um, but if you are in this spot and you are in this relationship and you're going, I know that the Lord's called me to youth ministry or just ministry in general, but you're dating somebody who says, I'm not called to that. You got to have that conversation and it's not going to be a fun one. It's probably going to be a tough one, but like you have to be on the same page because you just mentioned it. I know we have experienced it. When you're going through something tough in ministry, if you can have that person who's on in your corner, on your side, it is so helpful. And again, it's not impossible. I've seen it done. When spouse is not on board, it is possible. But if you can help it, it, it does help in a major way for you to just have that conversation and be a united front going into marriage knowing what your future holds yeah being honest about time expectations and financial expectations totally and all that stuff yeah is your spouse okay with you not making any money yeah that's that's an important conversation to and have eating pizza four times a week <laughs> How does your spouse feel about gestational issues? Because <laughs> uh, you'll develop them if you don't have them already. Uh-huh. Uh, if you are eating pizza four times a week. Uh, yeah. And and even from, from the standpoint of uh, hospitality, mm-hmm. I think that when, when you are a pastor on staff, uh, everybody's got different expectations. Um, but I, I have to imagine that pretty much every pastor at a church at some point, you know, is going to host somebody in their home uh, from, from the church. And whether that is a once a week thing or a once every three years thing, uh, you know, you guys got to be on the same page on stuff like that. Uh, you know, yeah. Time expectations. Uh, there's, I, I feel like there's a lot of, um, just some of those expectation things that you're you're not going to think of everything. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have every single conversation before you get married or before right. you accept that job. Right. But uh, trying to get as many of them out of the way as possible is great. And uh, talk to some other people you know that are already in ministry uh, that might be able to lend some advice. Yeah. And again, I've 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 worked with people. I've I've interned with people that 
you know, their spouse isn't that way. And um, what I've seen them do really well is that they have people within the church that they do have. So even if it's not their spouse, they have team members, they have fellow staff, they have people that it's like, I'm coming to you with this because I can't really go to my spouse with this. And like, if you're in that situation, you gotta like, you gotta be available for that too. It kind of goes back to, for me, team development is like, we are not just called to, our students or our congregants, like we're called, like what does Ephesians 4 say? Like we're called to equip and empower the saints. So your youth leaders, your your fellow staff members, um, if they're in that situation, be a helping hand, be a support, be someone that loves on them, helps them go through this because you probably don't understand how difficult that is for them that they can't share that with their spouse. And so be encouraging, be uplifting, show them how much you love them, show them what you believe in them and be an asset to them because they need it just as much as you need it. We're very fortunate that we have incredible wives that allow us to go through this. And and um, speaking for my wife who just ran out to, do I don't know what, but she said I won't be back. So I can only imagine what happened in that room over there. <laughs> but um, I seriously just have my, my wife is my superhero. She is incredible. Um, I'm sure Kyle, you would say the exact same thing. And so um, even for them to be in this podcast is a huge deal. And uh, I just here comes my superhero now. So uh, we're we're thankful for them. They're incredible and. I wish you could see the look on my wife's face. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think that uh, any any couples going into ministry, you know, it's it's I unless it is really your heart, like you know, you're hiring one of the two, you know, more than likely, and so remember that. But be the ministry leaders that you are. You don't feel like you have to fall into a stereotype or, you know, some sort of mold of this is the the pastor that I have to be. This is the pastor's spouse that I have to be. Like be you first. I think that was kind of just good marriage advice too, and not just ministry advice, but we always sort of would people always like to tell you very definitive advice and that almost never works out for anybody because like this person's marriage or ministry is going to look entirely different than yours is. That doesn't mean that you can't take the advice and sort of, you know, recycle it and apply it in the way that you need to. But I guess don't let anybody tell you that, Oh, you're going to fight. You're going to scream at each other. You're going to, that's how you should be fighting or you should like your kids are going to be this way or that way or whatever. You have to have a routine for them. They have to go to bed at this time. Your ministry has to be this way and your wife has to show up to every Wednesday night or whatever. Don't let anybody else put expectations on you that are not right for your family. But also it's a, it's a good idea to sort of look at people that you admire and take some of the things from their ministry or marriage or whatever that you like and see how that fits into your life. Yep, that's why I married her. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a, that's a good place to wrap it up uh, with with a wisdom nugget from one of the uh, more wisdomous people on the episode, which is just not Derek and I. One nugget. We had a whole happy meal here, man. They, <laughs> they brought in all kinds of nuggets. That's good. Uh, we appreciate you guys hanging out with us. A uh, hundred episodes in, and we're still going strong. And so, uh, Derek, you think we're gonna hit two hundred? Yep. That's uh, that's most of the confidence in the. What room are we right gonna there. do for episode one thousand? Oh my gosh! We're, we're we're gonna we're gonna be old and. If you don't have sponsors by then, I'm making you quit. <laughs> that's fair. I think episode one thousand has to be like a live show with a studio audience. Yeah, uh, we'll have to orchestrate. Even if we have to pay them all to be there, 
I think uh, we'll have to figure something out. But until then, uh, we appreciate all of our listeners. Uh, big, big thank you to our wives for supporting us and putting up with us. Uh, and to celebrate that, I think it's about time that Derek and I took our wives out on a date. Goodbye. <laughs>